If I asked most Christians this question, I think I know what the answer would be. What is the reason or what is the basis for the first day meetings of the church in the New Testament? I think most Christians, their gut instinct would say the resurrection. I think instead of saying the resurrection, they should say the resurrection (laughs) because the resurrection of the Son of God is actually an epic-changing event. World history, in one sense, hinged on, hinges on the work of Christ. And ever since the resurrection of the Son of God, what Luke calls the age, to, what Jesus calls the age to come in, in Luke chapter 20, um, has eclipsed this age. The age to come for us is when we're fully redeemed in our resurrected bodies and souls in the eternal state. But the age to come, that is the resurrected state, has already begun. Paul calls the resurrection of Christ, the last Adam, the first fruits. His resurrection is the first fruits of a great harvest. The great harvest starts with the first fruits, but certainly doesn't end there. Christ is the first fruit of the single resurrection of the sons of God that occurs on the last day. It's a part of the same resurrection, he being the first fruit of the the one resurrection of Christ and his people. So that would mean if we are going to enter this age to come in its fullness upon the resurrection, by virtue of the fact of being Christians, what happened to the mediator is going to happen to us, that would mean that he entered the age to come via the resurrection and was on this earth as its primary or first citizen for a while and then ascended into glory. That's why uh, Paul in Hebrews 6 can say that there are some who have tasted of the, of the powers of the age to come because there's been this eclipse, this entrance for a while of the Son of God into a glorified state while on the earth so that we can say that the, what we're going to experience then, he experienced back then. And so he, was the, he entered into this age to come. And so we live in one sense in two ages at once. That's why Paul can say, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation or just new creation. He's, uh, and you can understand it this way. You are in the new creation. Regeneration is is a recreation of the soul, a renovation of the soul. Regeneration is is God's work in us, and it is the first uh, step toward God's full work at the day of resurrection. Okay? And... Um, you have been created in Christ Jesus for good work. You are part of a new creation if you are a believer in Christ. You are not, are, not only are you, sub, not only are you uh, 
um, newly created, but you are, um, what's the word? If I looked at the notes, I might find the word. Uh, um, you are, uh, there's a good word I'm trying to use. Uh, you are put into this uh, sphere of existence that can be called new creation itself. Now, do we experience the age to come or this new creation in its fullness now? No. Do we have the first fruits of it, however, now? Yes, the Holy Spirit is the first fruits. The Holy Spirit is a pledge. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, a pledge, which is God's pledge, a down payment of more grace to come, okay, which comes at the second coming and, and the resurrection of Christ. So I think if you ask most Christians, hey, what's the basis for uh, first day meetings for public worship by the churches in the New Testament, they'd say the resurrection of Christ. But we're going to say the resurrection of the incarnate Son of God, which is an epic changing event, which changed basically, you know, in one sense, everything. It is viewed this way by the New Testament in many, many places. Let me just read some passages that have to do with Christians uh, and Christ's resurrection. Um, The resurrection is seen as the beginning of the new creation in the person of the incarnate son being raised from the dead as the first fruits of our ultimate, uh, the adoption of our bodies, as Paul calls it, at the last day. Believers are united to Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection through faith. Death, burial, and resurrection through faith. So we get the benefits of his death, we get the benefits of his burial, we get the benefits of his resurrection, which includes someday being resurrected. Listen to Paul in Romans 6. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? That means our union with Christ gives us benefits from his death. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So here is this new life that's come to us and we are to walk in it. For if we, that's new creation language there, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul uses similar language in Colossians chapter 2. That was Romans 6, 3 through 6. So, Excuse me, you can hear the language of death, burial, resurrection, and newness of life there. And if we're going to benefit from his death, surely we're going to benefit from his resurrection. But he's not talking about merely eschatological resurrection. He's talking about benefiting even from his resurrection in this life here and now. There's this constant Pauline a thread of instruction um, that tells us that we are in union with Christ, and this union 
communion, this being related to Christ uh, by the grace of God, brings believers into the arena of privilege, uh, redemptive privilege. They may know the power of his resurrection, for instance, in life now. And the reason why we may know the power of his resurrection is because we are united to him through faith. God made us alive together with Christ. We are united to him, so we are in this arena of great privilege. He raised us up with him. He seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ uh, makes believers citizens of, of heaven. So being a believer, being united to Christ, brings us into the into this orbit of redemptive privilege and benefit. Union with Christ also involves, I I said this before, existence in two ages at once. That sounds weird, doesn't it? This age, the old creation, and the age to come, the new creation. Here's the language of our Lord in Luke 20, verses 34 to 36. Jesus said to them, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage, for they cannot even die anymore because they're like angels and sons of God and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. Okay, so some people are going to be, can be called sons of the resurrection They are not yet in their resurrected bodies, but because Christ's resurrection is the first bodily resurrection of this age to come, um, he is called first fruits in 1 Corinthians 15, 20. Here's the language in 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. That's the language of... Central Valley, California, harvest. First fruits is not distinct in terms of harvest from a real harvest. It is part of the harvest. The first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. So here's Christ's resurrection was the first of similar resurrections to come. If you're a believer, you'll be raised and be made like him. Being the first fruits, his is not totally other than that which follows. It's the same Harvest. It's different in time, but it's part of the same resurrection. And we can say this as well. Therefore, Christ's resurrection is a sign of the presence of the age to come for a brief time on the earth. If his resurrection is the first fruits of our resurrection, and we're called Uh, age to come, sons of God, sons of the resurrection. And his resurrection is part of the same resurrection. 
Then the age to come in the person of the glorified mediator upon his resurrection was present on the earth for a time and now in glory. So that we could say this, the the resurrection of the Son of God is the most powerful sign of the presence of the age to come. This is why... um, Paul says things like this, if any man is in Christ, he is a new, he is new creation. The inauguration of the new creation, when did it begin? Well, it won't begin until the future. Nope. It began in the resurrection of the Son of God. That's when the new creation was inaugurated in the person of the mediator, our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why if anyone is in Christ, he's part of the new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Or Paul can say this in Galatians 6.15, for neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. That's important, whatever this new creation thing is. And it is uh, the age to come, eclipsing this age and the resurrection of the Son of God, uh, of which believers get benefits from in this life and in the life to come. Um, this is why Paul in Hebrews 6, 5 says that some have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. That's interesting. Some have tasted of the powers of the age to come. How do they do that? If the age to come isn't here, isn't here yet. Well, it's got to be here in some sense for them to taste of it. So there's that eclipse kind of language. Did you turn it to the left? Okay. So the water should, should be on. Now listen to somebody trying to do a better job of explaining it than I am. The New Testament teaches, therefore, that there is a new creation in Christ. The idea of, the, of new creation is frequently associated with Christ's resurrection. By union with Christ in his death, the old man is destroyed. By union with Christ in his resurrection, the new man is created. When he rose again, he became the firstborn of God's new creation. As he, as he was the beginning of the old creation, so he is now the beginning of the new. Thus, the memorial of Christ's resurrection is of necessity a memorial of the new creation. Thus, the Lord's Day, like the Sabbath, and unlike any other religious observance, points to both creation and redemption. So, I started out with a question. Uh, what is the basis for first day meetings, according uh, first day meetings of the churches for public worship? Uh, what's the basis for that? We said the resurrection. We're not saying the resurrection. We're saying the resurrection because it's an epic changing event. It's the, we could, we could say this. The complex of death, resurrection, sufferings, and glory is the apex of all God's redemptive work on the earth. Why is why do we have an Old Testament, and why was why wasn't the incarnation, um, you know, as soon as Adam uh, fell from fell fell from his lofty state? God prepared the world for Christ. So 
Why do we have an Old Testament? To prepare the world for the apex of God's redemptive work. What's God's, the apex of God's redemptive work? It's not your individual salvation. As important as that is to you and, and to the rest of us, the apex of all of God's redemptive work is, it's the third grade Sunday school answer, Jesus. We have an Old Testament and God used ancient Israel as a means through which he would reveal to the world the coming of the incarnate Son of God. That's why, you know, those big drumroll please verses like Galatians 4.4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son. But his state of humiliation, just the mere incarnation of the Son of God, isn't an epic-changing event. He is not part of the new creation during his state of suffering. He enters this new creation as its first citizen via the resurrection. That is the epic-changing event. It ushers in the first phase of the new creation, of the last Adam's entrance into glory, if we were there uh, with the knowledge that we have of the New Testament, uh, but if we were there in the first century, assuming we had a New Testament and we're reading Paul, we could have said, there's the first citizen of the new creation. He's on the earth. He's on the old creation, and and he's, on, he's here for a time, and he's ascending to glory, and he's going to come again, and cause that which happened to his human body to happen to other human bodies, namely their glorified souls are going to be put back in their bodies and everything's going to be, you know, gloriously renewed. Not just the bodies and the souls of people, but the entire cosmos is going to be this new heavens and new Earth. If we were there with the knowledge that we have from Paul, we could have said, there's the first, first citizen of the new creation. And um, I think if we ask the first century people, too, why are you meeting on the first day? They would say, because the first citizen, maybe not in these words, because the first citizen of the age to come eclipsed this age in the resurrection, and then the apostles saw him go to glory, and he promised to come again in the same body. The resurrection of the Son of God is the epic-changing event, and the basis, not just historical, but we would say theological and Christological basis for the first day meetings of the churches. And it's no small thing. It's a massive thing. Uh, and if you don't think it's massive, um, let me just remind you. There are people all over the world in all different time zones, in all the various continents, that are confessing the same thing we do and meeting for the same reasons we're meeting. That's a huge ripple effect from the resurrection of the Son of God on the first day of the week, right? Every Sunday since, slowly but surely, it started to permeate into other lands, but every Sunday since the resurrection or 
You know what I'm getting at here. Um, slowly but surely, more and more people started to assemble with others in the name of Christ, worship him as God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christian worship, ever since, has been conducted on the first, first day of the week. And it didn't just spread all over the earth real fast. It's, it's hard for us to think this way because ever since I was a little kid, you know, we went to Mass every Sunday. All my, most of my friends were Hispanic, so they went to Mass every Sunday as well. Everybody went to church. We've always been doing this. I can never remember a time in my life when people weren't going to church. Therefore, here's how we think. Therefore, people have just gone to church on Sunday forever. It's not true. It was a tiny band of believers in Jesus as the Old Testament's promised servant of the Lord, the Messiah, the anointed a prophet, priest, and king of his people. It was a very small band of people that it started with. And now, if you trace history back, it actually got so powerful, the resurrection was so powerful in some people's minds, that they made laws against having certain things open on Sundays. You know, a hundred years ago, people could not imagine professional sports on Sundays. You know, that's a novelty. And I don't think they were doing it for um, necessarily religious reasons, like holding their fist up to God. It was all about money. <laughs> they just figured they could make money because if college is on Saturday, people are going to watch college. So let's do our thing on Sunday, and we'll get people to watch it. There was a time when people go, are you nuts? We're not pagans. We don't do that. You know. Now it's just like eating and drinking and breathing. So the ripple of the effect of the resurrection, it's still with us. That's why I said it's an epic-changing event. It altered the face of the ancient world. It threw a wrench in things uh, in a good way. And it's with us today. So again, why do we meet on the first day? The incarnate Son of God rose on the first day of the week. Did you hear what I just said? The incarnate Son of God rose on the first day of the week. He suffered unto death and he rested or entered his glory on the first day of the week. He worked, then he rested. And someday our work will be done and we'll enter into the ultimate rest where there are there is no weeping, there is no emergency medical reasons where I have to miss church, there's no difficult ethical issues to work through. There's no homeschooling. Uh, there's no ladies' meetings. Sorry. Uh, there's none of that. There's what I has not seen nor ear heard, all that the Lord has in store for those who love him. Okay? There's this wonderful promise, these wonderful promises. Um, so I hope this answers the question very clearly. What is the basis for first day meetings for public worship uh, in the New Testament? The basis is the resurrection of the incarnate 
Son of God, which marks the first day of the new creation, and the new creation waits until another day to be fully inaugurated, that is, uh, when he comes when he comes again. And you see, this has something to do with the Lord's Supper, um, because on the night in which he was betrayed, he instituted the Supper, which reminds us of the Incarnation, but we don't want to be bad with our Christology and don't stop. We don't want to stop at just the Incarnation. We want to contemplate the purpose of the Incarnation, sufferings and glory, okay? So the Lord's Supper is connected to the resurrection, and it helps us uh, remember the Incarnation properly. So with that, I will pray, and then we'll do what we have to do. Lord, we are thankful for your word. We thank you for um, being able to think through it and try to put things together. And I know that sometimes these kind of issues in themselves are difficult, and that I sometimes make them more difficult than they need to be. But we pray that it be very clear that uh, the reason why we gather on the first day is because the Son of God bolted out of the grave on the first day of the week, the beginning of the new creation, a sign that he had accomplished redemption for us, and now he's in the, the stage of applying it to souls all over the earth. We thank you for the ripple effect of the first day resurrection, the, uh, the inauguration of first day worship, which now is all over the world, which we often just take it for granted. But it is no small phenomenon of history that first day worship in the name of Christ slowly but surely went all over the globe. No man can stop it. No man can cause it to be. This is a, a God thing. This is divine providence along with divine mercy and grace coming. We thank you that we're a part of this ripple effect of the resurrection. The benefits of the sufferings and glory of Christ have come to us, offered in the gospel. We receive them by faith, and now we find ourselves in need of more grace and help so that we might run well to the end of our lives. So grant your blessings as we uh, take together and as we sing together. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.